0: Right, take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to Joshua, uh, Joshua chapter number eighteen, and we're going to be looking here at the first six verses. We will look at uh, several passages this morning as we work our way through uh, this text this morning, and so. But there's just a wonderful uh, reality here where God is showing us some things not in the lives of the children of Israel and uh, how the 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 things that He gave them and the things that He wants to give to us, and and, uh, it's amazing how Joshua puts it. Joshua chapter 18 and verse number 1, And the whole congregation of the children of Israel assembled together at Shiloh and set up the tabernacle of the congregation there, and the land was subdued before them. And there remained among the children of Israel seven tribes which had not yet received their inheritance. And Joshua said unto the children of Israel, How long are ye slack to go to possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers hath given you? Give out from among you three men for each tribe, and I will send them, and they shall rise, and they shall go through the land, and describe it according to the inheritance of them, and they shall come again to me, and they shall divide it into seven parts. And Judah shall abide in their coast on the south, and the house of Joseph shall abide in their coast on the north. And ye shall therefore describe the land into seven parts, and bring the description hither to me, that I may cast lots for you here before the Lord our God. And I want to focus really this morning on verse number 3. And Joshua said unto the children of Israel, How long are ye slack to go to possess the land which the Lord God your fa- of your fathers hath given you. And I want to speak on this thought, possessing your inheritance. Now let's pray together. Father, thank you again for the time this morning. Thank you for your word and its power. Lord, may we not block it. May we not hinder your working and speaking to us. Uh, Lord, may you show us exactly what you have for each one here this morning. In Jesus' name, and amen. Joshua's. An amazing book, and, and it's it's really interesting, and I like history anyway, and so I like seeing how uh, God has worked in their life. But it's a culmination. Uh, it's a culmination of all that God had been promising since Genesis. Uh, all the way back to Abraham, from the very uh, instant there, he's made them now a great nation. Things that Abraham and Isaac and Jacob never saw come to fruition, the things that they never experienced uh, Jacob began to see it a little bit, uh, but the others, they just walk by faith, live by faith. They cons- they continue to trust God by faith. Uh, and so, and then, of course, uh, they spend 400 plus years in bondage in Egypt and then Moses comes and God delivers them miraculously, uh, brings them out of sin or Egypt and into Uh, the wilderness it was not supposed to be a 40 year journey it was supposed to be uh, just a two or three week long journey Uh, but when they came to the southern part and they sent out the spies of whom only Caleb and Joshua were willing to walk by faith uh, God then basically condemned those who showed no faith to die in the wilderness Uh, and so for the next 40 years they wandered and for that 40 years they showed uh, their stubbornness, they showed their own self-will, they showed their own rebellious spirit and nature and a new generation was brought up and to be until finally they come to the Jordan and Moses is, uh, because of his sin and is disobedience to the Lord is allowed to see it from the distance but then God brings him home and Joshua is instituted as their leader. Uh, we know the miraculous crossing of the Jordan. We saw uh, in, in the early chapters the miraculous the conquering of Jericho, uh, the tragic defeat at Ai because of their being sent in the camp. Uh, And so all of this has been uh, unfolding, but that's a part of the process of God now delivering the promise. Uh, This is the land that flows with milk and honey, the land of plenty, the land of prosperity that I have promised you. uh, And it's inhabited. And it's inhabited by the Canaanites, a sinful people, a pagan people. uh, And God allowed them to be there to keep the land up and from being overgrown. Uh, And now time for judgment of their sin is upon them. And God's instrument of judgment, if you will, is the nation of Israel as he fulfills his promise to them. Uh, And so they've been fighting. Now the book of Joshua in its entirety covers about 26 years. Uh, I really don't have a good handle on how much time of that 26 years has elapsed by chapter 18. But uh, a good portion of that time has elapsed. And when they came across the Jordan and into Jericho... Uh, there were apparently some organized Canaanite armies that needed to be defeated. And at this point, those armies are believed to be largely defeated. The larger tribes are settled. The larger tribes have been given their inheritance. Of course, some of them wanted to stay on uh, the east of the Jordan, and that was granted them. But essentially, Manasseh, Ephraim... Judah, Gad, and Reuben have all received their inheritance. They, they, those five tribes know where they're going. Their people are settling there. They've, they've conquered the enemy that's there. Uh, and they are able now to, uh, to begin the work of just settling into life and worship and serving God and uh, raising their families and, uh, and, their, and their crops and livestock and all of those types of things. But there are other tribes that are still not sure where they're going. They've been all together to this point. They've been fighting, they've been conquering, uh, and they needed the, the, the large tribes to go out and to do the uh, the work of conquering the majority of the armed forces against them. Uh, but it seems that these last tribes are kind of left To clear out what's left, to do the mop-up operations, what we call it militarily today, uh, of the land that they're going to get. But they don't know what that land is yet. And so Joshua here is instructing them, uh, you, uh, Benjamin, Simeon, Zebulun, Issachar, Asher, Naphtali, and Dan are the tribes that are without an inheritance as of yet. And so uh, he tells them, go out, three from each tribe, give me the lay of the land, tell me what's there, uh, bring that information back to me. Now their land was divided in uh, some semblance to their population of their tribe the larger tribes got larger inheritance it says that they cast lots it doesn't necessarily we don't know exactly how he did that but it seems pretty obvious because of the, the larger land territory going to the larger tribes that uh, of the seven tribes they came back that uh, the, the land masses that were smaller that lots would be cast amongst the smaller tribes for their inheritance in the larger areas uh, lots would be cast for the larger tribes for those and they were given their parcels of land to go out and to inhabit the problem is those lands are still inhabited by uh, people that have lived there for a long time and they're enemies to god and they're they're to be destroyed by israel as they claim their inheritance and so they're sent out that the tabernacle is is set up there uh and so It's there in Joshua's tribe uh, and and he's there and working and, uh, and they're on their way out. But his attitude toward them is really what I want to focus on this morning because they've been fighting and now they're kind of settled in here. But there's still all this that's left to be done. There's their land, their promise, their possession, what God has given them. And he's saying, listen, God has promised you this. Here is your allotment. God has given you this. What are, you, what are you waiting on? Why are you still here? And you stop and you look and he says, how long are you slack to go and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers hath given you? And so we see Israel, they've been on the march for 17 chapters and they've been conquering their inheritance. And God during that time has demonstrated that he will supernaturally intervene on their behalf whenever they go to do what he's called them to do, what he's told them to do, to help them fulfill. That's important to us today because if we think that we can go out and have all that God has for us by our own volition, we're mistaken. We need God supernaturally working in our hearts. I can't be saved without God working in my heart. And I can't live a victorious Christian life and I can't conquer my sin and I can't be used of God to please him if I do it in the power of my own ability, my own flesh. It requires the supernatural working of God in my life. And God has demonstrated for them in their, in their time here uh, that he is willing to step up and to go to war for them, to win victories for them, to do things in a way that are inexplicable, things that don't make sense to man. I mean, take Jericho, for instance. They just marched around the city and the walls fell down. They didn't even cast a stone at it. They didn't have any kind of a catapult or uh, a trebuchet or anything to cast uh, things against the walls to break them down. They just did what God said to do, even though what God said to do made no human sense at all. And whenever they did what God said, God blessed and God miraculously tore down the walls of the enemy. And it's amazing how we want to over and psychoanalyze everything and think, uh, well, that doesn't make any sense. Or uh, if I do it this way, how is that going to give me victory? How is that going to help me? How is God going to provide for me if I do that? Uh, we, We have to have it make sense to us before we're willing to step out by faith and do it. Listen, faith doesn't figure on paper. If you can make sense of it logically, it's not faith. And I'm not talking about just like pulling stuff arbitrarily out of the air and going to do it and saying, okay, I'm going to have faith in God. Don't tempt God. Make sure that what you're doing is what God has told you to do. But when God has spoken and God has said, this is what you're to do, then we're to step out and to do it, whether it makes sense or not. And so when we step out and God provides the way and God works and God has demonstrated that to them. For 40 years, he's been demonstrating that to them in the wilderness. And those that are coming in, uh, those that are, uh, that are crossing over, with the exception of Joshua and Caleb, uh, are no older than 40, 39 or 40 years of age. They've all been born in the wilderness. They're all young. They're all uh, capable. They're all uh, physically able to go out and to do a lot on their own. But God's letting them know right off the bat, if you think you can do this without me, you're in trouble. And so he demonstrates for them and he comes to their aid and they win a great victory. And then he also reveals to them what happens whenever sin enters the picture. And so uh, we see the the sin uh, of, of Achan and Ai and we see how God dealt with that and how judgment came and how they were defeated whenever sin was in the camp. And I'm just telling you this morning that we need to realize as God's people that God has promised great things to us. That God has a plan for your life, that God wants to use you and God wants to bless you and God wants to grow you and God uh, wants you to be uh, effective in representing him and reaching others and drawing others to Christ. But the only way that that can happen is if we do things God's way in a way that honor and please the Lord. And when we do that, then God supernaturally works in the hearts of men uh, and draws them to himself. But when we try to do it our way, when we try to excuse our sin, when we try to let sin in, we'll be defeated. And so he gives a demonstration of that in their lives and that same demonstration carries over to us when he says to them, how long do you slack to go and to possess the land? What are you waiting for? May I say to you this morning that God uh, has promised uh, that if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, that you are a joint heir with Christ, that he wants and has promised blessing for you, that he's promised power to you to overcome your sin. He's promised empowerment to you uh, to win victory and to conquer things that have conquered you he's promised uh, to provide for your needs he's promised to uh, to strengthen you and to grow your faith he's promised to use your life in a way that honors and glorifies him he's constantly working and promising and promising all these things that he wants to do for us and in us and through us and what he's saying to us is listen here's all that i have for you how long are you going to wait before you go and get it it's right there i stop and you know sometimes it's it's uh Uh, There's there's something that's out there that you want, and and it's there. And literally, all you have to do to possess it is to just get up and to walk over there and to just take it. It's that simple. It's really not complicated. It's something that's available to almost anyone. And when the fall of the year comes around, my wife for, I don't know, for probably 20 years or more, has had this glass pumpkin. And when the glass pumpkin comes out on Labor Day weekend and the fall decorations come out even though down here it won't be fall for another couple months uh, and then uh, actually it'll be pretty nice next weekend I think. Uh, but, uh, But when that glass pumpkin comes out we dare not let that pumpkin be empty whenever anyone comes to visit. That pumpkin is reserved for fall wrapped chocolate candy because after all there is no other kind. Uh, and so uh, it has got to be uh, specifically wrapped a certain way. It's got to add color. It's a clear glass jar. Uh, and she has um, supernatural hearing whenever the lid of that jar is removed. I um, mean, she could be at the church and one of the kids stop by, not to mention the old man of the house, uh, lift the lid off of that jar. She may not hear it come off, but when it clanks back down, she hears it doesn't matter how careful you try to be. It doesn't matter how gentle you try to be. I mean, sometimes I'll even take two, I mean, the kids will take two hands, yeah, right, the kids, uh, and try to set it down real gentle so that you can't hear. I've even considered putting some felt around it, but I'm convinced that she would hear it anyway. Uh, and it's just, you're sitting there and you're thinking, I'm trying, I don't need to eat that. I don't want to eat that. Yes, I do want to eat it, but I don't want to, I don't need to eat it. Uh, but it's there and it's calling my name uh, and it's just, it's there. All I've got to do is get up out out of the chair and walk over there and try to sneakily open the lid and get it out. You don't have to sneak anything with Jesus. He's just put it out there. All we got to do is go get it. Come on. And so, I mean, when we stop and we think about it, we walk around and we're depressed. We walk around and we're defeated. We walk around and we feel like we can't ever win a victory. We'll walk around and feel like nobody cares. We walk around and we feel this and we feel that. And what God is saying is, listen, I have promised that I am a friend that sits closer than a brother. I promise that I loved you. I promise that I'll never leave or forsake you. I promise that I'll meet your needs. I promise that I'll bless you. I promise that I'll hear and answer your prayer. I promise that I'll use your life to bring honor and glory to me. I promise and I promise and I promise and I promise, and I promise, what are you waiting for? Amen. God wants to bless you. God wants to use you. And I have to realize that if I let sin in, I hinder the ability for God to bless me. But if I will allow myself to follow Him and to do what He said to do, then there's not anything that God has promised to me that is not available to me. He's promised. He's promised. I love Titus chapter 1 and verse 2 says the God uh, who promised cannot lie. He's promised us and he cannot lie. How long are we waiting? What are we waiting on? They say, well, pastor, he's promised us eternal life. That's when we get to heaven. Yeah, well, he's promised you a whole lot more than that. And so he's not just saying, okay, you're saved. When you get to heaven, it'll be all right. Live in misery and figure things out on your own until then. That's not the way it works. He's come and he's reached out to us. And I would say this this morning that we need to realize, first of all, that we can be possessing an able life. We feel like we're we're failing because we don't feel like we're able. Oh, pastor, I could never do that. I'm not able to do that. That's beyond what I'm able to do. If God's compelled you to do it, (laughs) then you can do it. Faithful is he who calleth you who also will do it. God is faithful to do through you what he's called you to do, whether you feel equipped to do it or not. And so when we look and we understand what God wants us uh, to understand and to do, I'm saying that you can live a life that is able. Able to what? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. Number one this morning, able to stand against Satan's attacks. You feel attacked by the devil this morning. You feel attacked by the devil through the week. You feel like uh, the world is caving in around you. And no matter how hard you try uh, to overcome that addiction or to overcome that vice or to overcome that anger attitude or that uh, that spirit of pride or to overcome uh, that spirit of bitterness. May I say to you that you with the Lord are able to overcome. Yeah. Ephesians chapter number 6 and verse 10-11 says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might, put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles or the attacks or the deception of the devil. When he says to us that you are able to withstand Satan's attacks... Listen, we, we've been talking about this on Wednesday. Expect opposition. Do you want to live for God? you want to go out and say, okay, I promise you this. Do you decide this morning, all right, pastor, I'm getting up. I'm going out there. I'm going to possess what God has for me. The first thing that you need to expect when you wake up in the morning is for the devil to smack you right in the mouth. Amen. Because he don't want you to. Come on. And he wants to discourage you. And he wants you to feel defeated and feel like you're not able. Uh, And listen, and again, we're not able on our own, but with the Lord, we're not unable. We're able to do all things that he's given us to do. And I'm just telling you that when the devil attacks you, that you are able to withstand with God and his help. That you do not have to be defeated. That you do not have to give in. Listen, the Bible tells in 1 Corinthians 10 31 that there is no temptation taken, you're 13, uh, but such as is common to man, but he is faithful, but God is faithful who is able to deliver you above that ye are able, and is with the temptation also made a way of escape. There is always a way to escape. God is always ready to open the door. The problem is, is that we often fail to look for the way out. Yeah. We just want to succumb. We want to uh, fall into what we know. Listen, the, the big conquering enemies that we have are the world, the flesh, and the devil. And I'm just telling you right here that you are able to win over the devil. When the devil comes and attacks, when the devil comes and deceives, when the devil comes knocking on your heart's door and tries to convince you that you're defeated and that you are uh, that you can never have victory in your life or that you can never have an answered prayer, that God could never use you to do anything significant for him, that he could never use you to reach someone else with the gospel or to train someone else how to live for Christ. Don't listen to that lie. It's straight out of the pit of hell. What, it's, what is true this morning is that God has made you able to possess what he's promised you. And you're able to stand this morning with God's help against Satan's attacks. Not only that, we're able to stand against the evil of the day. There's a lot of evil of our day. And that's not anything new. There's been a lot of evil in every day. Since, the, since we fail in the garden, there has been evil of the day. And it recycles itself and sometimes it, uh, it, it makes itself look different. It disguises itself. Uh, but there's no new thing under the sun. The same devices of the devil today. The same, uh, the same temptations, the that, that things that tempt us today. The same uh, heart of man that rises up in pride today is the same one that's been rising up all the way since the Garden of Eden. To stand against the evil of the day. That would be the world. In chapter 6 of Ephesians and verse 13, Wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. But put on the armor. God's given us battle equipment. He's given us armor to wear. Put on the preparation of the gospel and those shoes of peace. Put on the helmet of salvation, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness. Take your shield of faith and your sword of the Spirit and go to war for God. That's what he's telling Joshua the children of Israel to do. He's saying, listen, all these Canaanites are out here. All these people are out here. The Philistines are out there. The Malachites are out there. They're all out there. And they're all on your land that I promised you that I've given you. And if you want it, go get it. But... They're big and they're scary and they're in the way. And God said, I don't care what's in the way and I don't care how big they are and I don't care how great you think they are. With me, they're nothing to you. Just go do what I told you to do. Put on your armor, go to war and believe that I'm God. We doubt whether God is God, whether God will do what he said that he could do and will do what he said he'll do. Pastor, the, the fiery darts are coming and, uh, and, uh, and, and the, the devil's attacking and my flesh is coming. And that's essentially when the fiery darts come in, they're after the flesh. And he tells us in uh, verse number 16, Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Not some, not a few, but all of them. Not one can get through love Warren Wearsby's little book What to Wear to the War where he describes uh, what Paul likely was using as his envisionment as he wrote uh, the words of Ephesians and gave us that text when he talked about that Roman shield of, and the shield of faith and the Roman shield that was two feet wide and four feet tall and was beveled on the edges so that they could interlink them and form a solid continuous impenetrable wall uh, and they, they, when they made it it was made out of uh, out of wood and then they would take cloth and and, and fasten it down to that wood and then put a layer of leather over top of that and before they went to battle they'd soak it in water so that when the fiery arrows came and they put their shields up and the fiery arrows were caught it didn't burn up their wooden shields but the cloth that was saturated with water in between quenched them take that shield of faith that you may quench all the fiery darts of the enemy by the way water is the word the word of God is, is symbolized to us in the scripture by water. It is the word of God that quenches the fiery darts of the enemy. And whenever we're attacked and when we feel overwhelmed, it's not for us to step back and to just be defeated. It is for us to realize that with the help of God and with the promise of God and with the word of God, I can be victorious. Amen. That I can rise above everything that Satan throws at me. By the way, uh, Paul also told us in uh, in the book of Romans, in chapter number eight, uh, beginning there in uh, in verses thirty five through through thirty seven, uh, that we we don't have to live defeated lives. Uh, he tells us that uh, we who shall separate us from the love of Christ shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword. He looks at us and he says, listen, uh, you, you're, at, you're here Benjamin, Simeon, uh, what are you What are you still doing here? Hey Zebulun, uh, your area is down uh, over here in Issachar, uh, yours is just to this area in Asher, uh, yours is a little bit up to the north in Naphtali, yours is over there in Dan, uh, you've got to get down there. What are you waiting for? God promised it to you. It's your possession. It's your inheritance. God's made it available to you and he'll help you. What are you still doing here? I wonder this morning how many of us are living defeated lives because we're just hanging around those that have received their possession. Wondering and frustrated because we don't have ours. See, five of the tribes had received their inheritance. Five of the tribes were, uh, were living their dream. The tabernacle was set up and consecrated. God was worshipped. God was pleased. But he's saying this morning to them, listen, you're able to possess what God has given. Secondly, this morning, consider that we're able not only to possess what God has promised, but we're able to, have to possess an abundant life. Jesus said in John chapter 10 and verse 10 that I came to give you life and I came to give it to you more abundantly. He looks at us and he says, I want you to have and to an experience, to experience an abundant life. And listen, that begins when we understand that we have available to us an abundance of God's love. God loves you this morning. Listen, you may not always feel loved, but whether you feel loved or not, God loves you. Amen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. But God commendeth his love, or demonstrated his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for us to turn over a new leaf, to get cleaned up. He didn't wait for us uh, to decide that uh, that, that we look like we were worthy of what he was offering. No, he went to Calvary's cross, and he died for us when we were down stuck in the muck and the mire of our yeah, sin. Amen. And he said, whether you accept me or not, your penalty is paid. Whether you'll accept, it's provided. There is nothing that God's love could provide more than what he's provided to us. Will we embrace that promise of God and possess God's love this morning? You can have the abundance of Of God's love flowing in your heart. But not only that. But you can have an abundance of God's grace. We have it. It's just a matter of not whether we'll we'll tap into it. And experience in 1 Peter chapter 5. uh, And verses 10 and 11. uh, He says this. But the God of all grace. Who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus. After that ye have suffered a while. Make you perfect. Establish. Strengthen. Settle you. It's not on me to grow if I just feed on the Word and trust in my God, He will grow me. Praise the Lord for brand new babies, but all brand new babies need to do is to be loved and to be fed. Cared for, cleaned, and if you love them and you feed them and you provide for them, they just naturally grow. And how many of us as Christians can never naturally grow because we won't accept the love of God and we will not feed on the word of God. But when I feed on his word and when I embrace his love, I can have an abundance of his love, an abundance of his grace. And then when I fail and when I make a mess out of my life and I uh, do everything the wrong way, I can experience the abundance of God's forgiveness. Isaiah chapter number 55 In verses 6 through 8, he said, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found, call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return unto the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. Listen, I'm saying this morning that God looks down and when man says, I wouldn't get over that, I wouldn't forgive that, that person deserves all that's coming to him. God looks down and says, I will abundantly pardon. God looks down and says, whatever you've done, however you've failed, whatever you've gotten sidetracked with, I will forgive. I'm telling you this morning that God is long suffering to usward. That God loves, that God cares, that God is working, that God will convict, that God will draw us back to him. That he'll leave the 99 and go and find the one that's gone astray and love them back to himself. Why? Because it's the abundance of his love and the abundance of his grace that brings us into the abundance of his forgiveness and I cannot fail so oft that if I'll repent of my sin and turn to God that I will not find a father who loves me that says all is forgiven and I'll restore you. The abundance of God's forgiveness. There's also an abundance of God's guidance. He doesn't leave us to figure it out on our own. He's given us a guide he's given us someone to show us the way he's given us his word and its principles uh, to help us discern uh, what he has for us in life in John chapter 16 uh, and verse number 13 he says "Howbeit, when he the spirit of truth is come speaking of the Holy Spirit he will guide you into all truth for he shall not speak of himself but whatsoever he shall hear that shall he speak and he will show you things to come he shall glorify me Jesus said for he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you Uh, God is using and the Holy Spirit of God shows us all that God has for us and I'm telling you this morning that you can have access to an abundant life that you can possess uh, an abundant life that you are able to possess all that God has promised you this morning and God has promised us abundant guidance not only that but he's promised us an abundance of his mercy I'm glad that God is a merciful God I'm glad that God looks at me and says, I'm going to show some mercy rather than saying, I'm just going to give you what you deserve. Yeah. If I got what I would deserve, I'd be in a world of hurt. Yeah, I, I look at passages in Psalms, especially Psalm 136, 25 times it says, His mercy endureth forever. His mercy endureth forever. I don't know about you, but sometimes I get tired of forgiving the same thing over and over again. I mean, uh, I mean, every Monday, Brother Chad comes into the office, and we, we meet in my office every Monday. And every Monday, he comes in and says, man, Pastor, I'm sorry, but uh, I said this about you to somebody. I'm just kidding. He didn't really. I uh, come in, and every, every Monday, it's the same thing, right? After a few Mondays, I'm tired of that already. But not God. Amen. It's amazing how God's just, His mercy endureth forever. Listen, your mercy's not going to endure forever my mercy is not going to endure forever but the mercy of God endures forever and I'm saying we are able and we have the ability to possess an abundant life thirdly consider that we can possess an anointed life an anointed life it's not just abundance of life it's not just about having a lot of things it's about having a lot of God it's not about acquisition of property It's about acquisition of the spirit. And the reality is, is that if I yield myself to him, then he'll do great and mighty things in my life. Possessing an anointed life. What I mean by that anoint is to consecrate. To set apart for service. Consider two thoughts about this this morning. Number one, that my life should be consecrated to the Lord Jesus Christ. My life should be set apart of my own free will. To serve God, to love him, to care for him. Matthew chapter 16, in verses 24 uh, through 26, he says this. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profit if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Listen, am I going to consecrate my life to Christ or am I going to consecrate my life to me? Am I going to set my life apart for my own will, for my own wants, for my own ways? Or am I going to yield myself to my Savior? A life consecrated to Jesus and a life consecrated to be different. Set apart to God means that I should look different. I should talk different. I should act different than the world around me. That Jesus should be elevated. Deuteronomy chapter 14 and verse number 2 says, For thou art an holy people unto the Lord thy God, and the Lord hath chosen thee to be a peculiar people unto himself above all the nations that are upon the earth. We see that word in the New Testament uh, as well uh, in Titus chapter number 2 uh, and verse number 14 uh, we see as he uh, as he writes and he says who gave himself speaking of Jesus of course that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify into himself a peculiar people zealous of good works in First Peter chapter 2 uh, and verse 9 and the word peculiar here you only see two or three times in the New Testament and First cha- Peter chapter 2 uh, and in verse number 9 he says it this way but ye are a chosen generation a royal priesthood and holy nation a peculiar people that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light and we look at that word peculiar and we uh, really don't have a good understanding we use it a lot and the reality is is that we all have an idea of what's peculiar Uh, To some of you, I'm peculiar. To me, a lot of you are peculiar. (laughs) And so we all find each other peculiar. Sometimes it's just maybe we're a little quirky in this area or that area. Some people uh, are peculiar in a lot of different ways. And uh, really what we associate the word peculiar with is weird. And so when we talk about Uh, being weird. What God is saying here is not that you are consecrated to me, you are a group of weirdos for me. That's not his point. The word peculiar here in this particular passage in Deuteronomy in Hebrew and in both cases in Titus mean this, possessed and valued by God. It means to shut up and I don't mean like, hey, you're talking too much, shut up. I mean, I'm shutting it up as in putting it away in a safe because it's valuable to valuable to me and it's consec- I'm consecrating it for my use when it's appropriate for me to take it out and to use it for my glory. God says you are a valuable people to me you are a consecrated people to me you are a peculiar people to me and by the way when you're peculiar in the f- sense that you're sanctified to God and special to God you ought to seem a little bit weird to the world yeah. Amen. but weird because you have God's love and God's mercy and God's grace not weird because you wear a big sign on your forehead that says I'm a weirdo Nowhere in the Bible does it say be a weirdo for Jesus. It says be consecrated to Jesus. It says love Him. It says embrace the life that He's given to you. It's be victorious in Him. A life that's consecrated to Jesus is a life that's consecrated to be different. I I have to understand that if I really expect God's power and God's blessing that my life has to be different than the life of that lost person in the world. My values should be different. What's important to me should be different. My goals and ambitions in life should be different. I should be defined by the character and the nature of God and his love for me and my love for him, not my love for the things of this world. And the the world doesn't love you, by the way. It may pose and pretend to love you, but it's just using you. And when it's done with you, it'll spit you out and throw you away. That's what Satan does. That's what the world does. It's the pleasures of sin for a season as described by Moses in Hebrews 11. He forsook them to serve God. And I'm saying this morning that you are able to embrace your inheritance, that you can possess an abundant life, that you can possess an anointed life in which God is pleased and glorified. And I would say lastly this morning that you can possess an amazing life. You can possess an amazing life. There is no life so amazing as a life that's blessed by God. And there's no way that someone in the world could understand that. Because the life that is blessed by God may not look like wealth. It's not defined by the things that society and culture says are the earmarks of success and prosperity. What I'm talking about this morning is an amazing life and the sense that no matter what I'm going through, God is present with me. Though no matter what I need, God will provide my need. That no matter what God chooses to lead me through, God is there with me. That no matter what I used to be, God is able and willing to make me something new. That's an amazing life. Three thoughts about this this morning. I would say that as a Christian who is able to possess God's blessing and that inheritance, is that I realize that I can expect and I can have amazing answers to prayer. What an amazing thing to be able to come boldly before the throne of grace and to not only expect that God would grant me access, but that he would actually stop and listen to what I have to say. And that when he's heard it, he's not going to just be dismissive of it. He's going to act upon it. He may not always act in the way that I would expect or the way that I would want or in the time frame that I would, would desire. But He's always going to do what's best and necessary for my life to glorify Him and to fulfill His will for it. We want to associate God's blessing and answered prayer to God making things easy for us or for God meeting our expectations. The reality is, is that God is not here to meet my expectations. I am here to meet His And when God looks down at me and says, "Uh, I've saved your soul. I want to use your life for my glory. Come and ask of me what you need that God is going to grant answers to my prayer based upon His will for my life and how how I can glorify Him and fulfill that will. Acts chapter 12 and verses 3 through 19. And we don't have time to read all of that. But Peter finds himself in the prison. And he is... In that prison, and while he's there, Peter, therefore, was kept in verse 5 in the prison. But, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. And there he is imprisoned, and they're praying. And it's really, if we had time to read it this morning, you would see there's a lot of humor to be found here because whenever the angel comes and sets Peter free and Peter comes and they're all in the prayer meeting in the house and Peter starts knocking on the door and Rhoda comes out and looks out the window and sees it's Peter. She's so shocked that it's Peter and she's so excited that God answered their prayer that she just closes the hatch on the door and goes and tells everybody, hey, Peter's outside. She don't even let him in. (laughs) They're amazed that God answered their prayer. And I'm telling you, in verse 16 it says, But Peter continued knocking. And when they had opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. When's the last time you were astonished by an answered prayer? When's the last time that I came before God realizing that God had given me as an inheritance the ability to, to possess what he's promised me. To possess an abundant life. To possess an anointed life. And to possess an amazing life in which prayer is heard and answered. God wants you to talk to him. He is interested in your life. He wants to use your life to glorify him. Will we possess the inheritance of amazing prayer? I guess we'll find out in the morning at 11 we see who shows up for our prayer meeting. I realize a lot of folks will be at work at that hour and can't come. But an amazing answer to prayer. Not only should we be blown away by that amazing answer of prayer, but by the amazing salvation of sinners. The amazing way in which God changes life in Second Corinthians chapter 5 uh, and verse number 17. Uh, and we know the verse well. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Yes. Well, pastor, if I uh, gave my heart to Christ and I really like this and I really like, listen. God makes all things new. Amen. Amen. I'm not supposed to look like I looked before. I'm not supposed to think like I thought before. I'm not supposed to act like I acted before. And then we look at the salvation and that amazing salvation of sinners, and we don't have time to read the passage, but in Acts chapter 9, particularly in verses 3 through 6, the great persecutor and tormentor of the church. Of all people, Saul, who would become the Apostle Paul, who is in pursuit of destroying Christians and their families and seeing them imprisoned and executed to destroy the church of the living God. He is all in and believes he's serving God with all of his heart. He is zealous to destroy the things of God uh, and he is out there wielding destruction. And I'm just saying this morning that if God can save a man like Saul and change him into a man like Paul, then God can fix you too. There's not anyone in your life, there's not anything in your life that if God could save save and God could sanctify and God could change the Apostle Paul from what he was to what he became to where he was someone who was cutting off Christians' heads, uh, maybe not literally but figuratively, to someone whose head was taken from him literally by Nero, then God can change my life too. It's an amazing salvation of sinners. When's the last time you saw someone come to Christ that you never thought would ever come to Christ? Because you prayed for them. An amazing answer to prayer leads to the amazing salvation of sinners. And if we would pray and experience God in such a way, we might be amazed by the fact that there's a lot of church members that started getting saved. There are a lot of people that know how to go through the motions. There are a lot of people that have put their confidence in mumbling a prayer. But have never repented of their sin and received true forgiveness from Christ. And I'm saying this morning that the amazing salvation of sinners can be life changing. Not only for the one who is saved but for the ones who have witnessed God's work in such a magnificent way. And then we see that amazing transformation of life in Acts chapter 13. Number 2 in verses 36 through 41. Acts chapter 2 verse 36 through 41. As God is working, therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. And they said unto Peter and unto the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remissions of sins and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost for the promises unto you and and unto your children and to all that are afar off even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized and the same day were added unto them about 3000 and souls. I'm saying this morning that God has made it possible for you to possess all He's promised. I'm saying this morning that He's made it possible for you to possess an abundant life. I'm saying this morning that He's made it possible for you to pe- possess an anointed life. And I'm saying that it's possible for you to possess an amazing life. That's your inheritance in Christ Jesus. That's your inheritance from God and the things that stand in the way the enemies that would prevent you can be conquered with the help of God there's not anything that God can't do. But I'll say this about the book of Joshua as well. Whenever they got to the point when they were tired of fighting, when they were tired of going to war, when they were tired of doing what God said, then they just said, we've conquered enough. There's still some to be conquered, but we just need a break. We need a rest from that. Uh, We can deal with that. We can handle that. Then God finally said, listen, if you like the Philistines so much, then I'm going to let you keep them around and they're going to be a thorn in your flesh for generations to come. There's an opportunity whenever God speaks to the heart to win victory over even the little small petty sins in life. And if we'll seize the opportunity, we can have victory for a lifetime. But if we cling to Him for a while, we may struggle with Him for a lifetime. When the conviction of the Holy Spirit comes, when the power of God falls, act upon it. Don't cling to anything but Jesus. An abundant Christian life, my friends, this morning is waiting for you to possess it. That amazing power. That amazing relationship. There are going to be battles that are going to have to be fought. There are going to be sins and enemy that have to be driven out. But victory has already been won. And I can choose to wander. I can choose to make friends with the enemy. I can choose uh, to to cling to whatever I want to cling to. But the reality is is that God has given the victory. Have you experienced this this morning? Do you have in your life what God has promised you? And if you don't, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting on? How long are you slack to go and possess the land the Lord God of your fathers hath given you?